Our scripture reading today is from chapter, uh, John chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 1 through 15. If you want to find your place there and follow along as I read. John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they do not, they do not know the Father nor me. But I, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will do declare it to you he will declare to you things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the father has is mine therefore i said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you here ends the reading of god's word thank you tony Please pray for me and pray with me. Lord God, you know my heart is heavy. You know I find this topic very, very difficult. Father, open our eyes to hear your word speak. And may it change us more and more into the image of Christ. For his sake and for your glory we pray. Amen. We have done it. We have crossed the halfway point. We're starting the third paragraph of the Apostles' Creed. As we move into the third and final paragraph as we go through this, let's do a quick overview, very short. The very first paragraph is just one sentence. Excuse me. It, even though it's one sentence, it tells us a lot about God. Then that one sentence narrows and tells us a lot about God the Father. The next two paragraphs are all about Jesus, God the Son. In these paragraphs, it tells us about Jesus' sinlessness, his substitutionary suffering, and death for his own people. 
These paragraphs tell us that Jesus defeated, conquered, and destroyed what most of us fear more than anything, death. Jesus did that by rising from the dead, ascending to heaven, and sitting at his Father's side. As such, he confirmed that he is, in fact, God. He is, in fact, Yahweh. And therefore, he will come again to judge all people. Today we look at the first phrase of the final paragraph of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. While it's only six words, this is a topic that is insurmountable. We will not even scratch the surface, but we will endeavor to learn what we can in the short time that we have this morning. Four points. The Holy Spirit is Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit indwells the people of God. The Holy Spirit fills the people of God. The Holy Spirit enables and empowers the people of God. The question should never be, what is the Holy Spirit? The question should always be, who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Yahweh. He is God. He is a person. He is not one of three God. He is not one third of God. He is not the force of God. He is not the energy of God. He is God. He is fully Yahweh. Now we don't have time to go into the doctrine of the Trinity, suffice it to say the Holy Spirit is a person and not a what. He is God. I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but let's give you a little bit of evidence of that. Turn to the very, very beginning of your Bible, if you would please, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right there, right at the very beginning, we see not only that the Holy Spirit is God, it was the Spirit of Yahweh, we see the Holy Spirit is an active participant and part of creation. To show that that's not the only thing, this it's, we'll be doing a fair amount of turning in our Bibles today, but this is easy. Now take the whole thing and flip it over and go to the last chapter. Go to chapter 22. Most times it won't be this easy. Chapter 22, starting at verse 16, just to show you that the Holy Spirit is all throughout the book, in the beginning and the end. 22, starting at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. The spirit 
and the bride. The bride is the church of Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. The Spirit is saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, in Genesis and in Revelation. It is all the way through. The Holy Spirit is a person. To give you evidence of that, I will go quickly here. If you want to, you can turn to Isaiah 63.10. The Holy Spirit can be rebelled against. He can be grieved. Isaiah 63.10 says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. You cannot grieve an inanimate object. You can't rebel against an inanimate object. Acts 5.3 The Holy Spirit is a person and can be lied to. Acts 5.3 But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You can't lie to a rock or a stone or a podium. You can only lie to a person. Hebrews 10.29 The Holy Spirit can be ignored insulted, outraged. Hebrews 10.29 How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Some translations use insulted the spirit of grace some translations use ignored the spirit of grace i guess i can ignore things that aren't people but chances are if i ignore that chair and walk down that aisle i'm going to hit my knee and probably at my age really hurt but ignoring insulting and outraging are things that we do to people the holy spirit is a person the other thing quickly the very start of this paragraph it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But then the next two phrases tell us a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. The, the Spirit helps build the Holy Universal Church by giving gifts to the church. You don't need to look there. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, teaching shepherds to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. The next phrase is community of the saints. He, the Holy Spirit, you, makes us one in Christ. He brings us into one and the same community with all of the saints. Turn to 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12 reading verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of the one spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, please. Verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
the Holy Spirit is building the community of saints, bringing us in to communion with each other. The saints aren't just here in Merton. They aren't just in Wisconsin. They aren't just in Iowa. There's saints in Romania. There's saints in Ukraine. There's saints long past that we are drawn into. Now, we will go into those aspects of the creed in the coming weeks. I just wanted to point out to you that the Holy Spirit is at work, and the creed does mention that. Excuse me. So this morning what we want to do is focus a little more on what, I don't necessarily like these words, what privileges or benefits the followers of Jesus receive from the Holy Spirit. Point number two, the Holy Spirit indwells. Point one, the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Point two, the Holy Spirit indwells. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't use the word indwell on a daily basis. I don't use it on a weekly basis. Other than preparing for this, I probably haven't used it in a year. Um, So I'm not really sure what indwell means. I kind of get it's probably got something to do with the word dwell itself. But if you're not sure, look it up. That really didn't help me much. The Oxford Dictionary states the definition of indwell is to be permanently present in. I'm sorry, but that was more confusing to me than the word indwell. To be permanently present in. If I really think about it, and my brain doesn't hurt that much, I might be able to figure out what that means. Weirder yet, as I'm looking at this, I can't believe this helped. I saw underneath it, it said, it comes from the Latin. Why am I going to bother? It comes from the Latin inhabiter. Inhabiter, like inhabit. So indwell is kind of like inhabit. Okay, who'd have thought the Latin would help me more than the English? I get more out of inhabiter than I did be permanently present in. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Because now we have something. The Holy Spirit inhabits. Now that means something. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, starting at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, living in you, inhabiting you, if you are a follower of Jesus. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Reading 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. In the interest of full disclosure, I have taken that verse out of its context. I, I, I know I did it. I want you to know that I know I did it. 
So quickly, the context of 1 Corinthians 6 is about sexual immorality. It's about sexual sin. And it's saying because the Holy Spirit is living in your body, is templing in your body, things with you do with your body, you're involving the Holy Spirit in. That's the context. But what we want to look at is the Holy Spirit living in us, indwelling in us, inhabiting in us. So I don't think it's wrong for me to say, in this context, clearly the Holy Spirit is living in me no matter what I do. But chapter 6 there is talking about, you need to be careful what you do with your body, because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, and living in you. We see the Holy Spirit dwelling us again in Romans 8, if you would please. Turn to Romans 8, just a few pages, the other direction. Romans 8, starting at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies though his, through his spirit who dwells in you. Again we see dwelling in you, indwelling, living in you, inhabiting you. We also see that we're to be living in the Spirit. As much as he's living in us, we're not to be living in our flesh. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We can't do what we want with our bodies. Point number three, the Holy Spirit fills. Point number one, the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Point number two, the Holy Spirit indwells. Point number three, the Holy Spirit fills. How is filling different from indwelling? Isn't it a one-time thing that happens when you first get saved? Isn't it a one-time thing that happens when you first place your faith in Christ? No, it's not. Indwelling and filling are different. They are not the same thing. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Did you see why the filling of the Holy Spirit can't be a one-time thing? It's there. Being filled with the Spirit must, it must 
be an ongoing experience in the life of the believer, in the life of a Christian, in the life of a follower of Jesus. Just to use that term, following means I'm continuing on doing something. So let's not just look at verse 18 where it says filled with the Spirit. Unlike 1 Corinthians 6 where I said we're not going to talk about the context, let's look at the context here starting at verse 15. Look how you walk. We talk about are you walking with the Lord? How's your walk with the Lord? Is walking a one-time thing or is it a constant thing happening more than once? Verse 16, making the best use of time. Well, since time is a one, no, time is moving. What happened a few seconds ago is gone. What's happening in a few minutes is going to be gone too. It's moving. It's not a one-time thing. And we need to be careful how we use our time. Time is always advancing. Verse 20, always giving thanks. I didn't bother looking up Oxford, but I think always doesn't mean one time. 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You don't do that one time. So why do we think in the middle of this text where it says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, that the filling of the Spirit is a one-time thing? It doesn't make any sense. The context doesn't allow us to say that. There is a stark contrast Paul is drawing between this. Getting drunk is wrong. It is sinful, and as this verse states, it is debauchery. Those things are unacceptable for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus. You are to be sober-minded, clear-headed, thoughtful, and serious. And if you struggle with substance abuse, stop. You get help, get counseling, get, get on your knees, rip, confess and repent, and move forward. It's just that simple. Paul is saying, stop it, it's debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean to be dour, or grim, or dreary, or cheerless. We're to be joyous and joyful, happy, making melody in our hearts, giving thanks. And why shouldn't we? We're children of the King. Children of the King of Kings. We are to be filled with the Spirit. How many things can you think of that once they are filled are never filled again? Simplest thing is gas tanks. You fill it, you use the gas, you have to fill it again. So why do we think this sometimes? Turn to Acts chapter 4. While you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. I'm going to talk a little bit about Acts 2 and then Acts 3 while you're turning to Acts 4. In Acts 2, before Pentecost, there's 120 people in the upper room and they're praying. And Acts 2, 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. But throughout Acts, we are constantly being reminded that they were filled. Why? If it's a one-time thing. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm, I'm 
going to show you that. So you're at Acts 4, right? Let me give you a little background about what's going to happen here. I'm going to talk about Acts 3. In Acts 3, Peter and John, it's the hour of prayer, and they're going to the temple. They're walking right into the temple. They're going through what's called the Gate Beautiful. And there's a man who is lame, crippled, disabled from birth there, and he's begging. He's asking for money. And Peter and John see him. They weren't seeking him out. They were on their way in, and he called out to them. And they come over and say, we don't have any money. We don't have any gold or silver. But what we have, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Peter stretches out his hand. The guy gets up. He starts walking, leaping. They're outside the gate, beautiful. They go into the temple. This guy is going crazy, jumping around, walking, praising God. The people are like, this is, this is the same guy. I just walked past him. I, I threw him a quarter. I just, how can this be? Peter sees these people are going on. I've got an opportunity to preach. Peter preaches in the temple. What do you think happens in the temple when Peter is preaching? He gets arrested. Him and John get arrested. They get arrested and they're thrown in jail. They sit in jail for a whole day before anything happens. Brings us to Acts 4. Acts 4, starting at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and, who all, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, has become the cornerstone. Now, we don't have time to exegete and dissect this whole passage. We're looking at filled with the Spirit. In Acts 2.4, there are 120 people. It says they were filled with the Spirit. In Acts 4.8, it says Peter was filled with the Spirit. Why are we repeating that? Was Peter not filled with the Spirit in between there? Why are we being told about that again? Because it happened. He kept getting filled with the Spirit. That's what we're seeing here. Stay in Acts 4, skip a couple down a couple verses to verse 23. So Peter says, you guys rejected him, this Jesus whom... And they get pretty upset with it, and they say, we don't know what we can do, don't ever preach in his name again, uh, you decide whether it's right to obey God or men. We're going to obey God. And they really don't know what to do, so they release him. But they warn him and they threaten him. So Acts 23 starts where these Peter and John have been released. When they, Peter and John, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, 
they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, if they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2-4, and then they're filled again, or Peter, at least Peter is filled again in 4-8, and then all of them again are filled in 4-31, why are we keep being told this? Unless, when they get filled, and I don't know the language for this, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and just like the gas in our cars, we use it and fill it again, Peter is getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's using that. I don't know the words to use. He's pouring it out. I, I, I don't know. And so he's getting filled again. He's using, that's really the wrong word to use, using that filling, and he's being empowered to preach. Therefore, he's being filled again. Why isn't that happening to me? Is that happening to you? Then maybe because the filling that we've been giving we're not pouring out. We're not using. Maybe the gas we've put in our tank has been sitting there for so long it's stale and we can't even start the engine anymore. Instead of filling it and using it, getting filled and using it, we refuse to do that. Point number four, the Holy Spirit enables. Point one, the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Point two, the Holy Spirit indwells. Point three, the Holy Spirit fills. Point four, the Holy Spirit enables and empowers. You're still at Acts. I do not want to get lost in the weeds. We are Baptists, and I know pride goeth before a fall, but I'm proud to say I'm a Baptist. I wasn't raised that way. I left the place I was raised because I didn't think it taught the truth. It was not foundation. Foundation was not built on the scriptures. I am proud to say what I believe and be connected to the Baptistic ways and the Baptistic styles. But as Baptists, we get very cautious. And let's be honest, we get a little bit, maybe even more than a little bit scared when we read passages about miracles and we read passages about healings and wonders and signs. I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds, but I want us to look again at the passage we just read. Not all the way up at 23, let's look at Acts 4.29. 
See if anything happens to jump off the page to you. Starting at verse 29 of Acts 4. This is their praying after Peter and John had came and told them. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Did you see it? It's all about the miracles, right? It's all about the healing and the signs and wonders, right? No. It starts out with boldness. Then if you want to do signs and wonders, and then they're filled, and it's boldness. The whole point is they want to be bold to speak the word of God. They want to be bold to preach. But what do you do if you're afraid and you're not bold? How do you overcome that fear? Side note, do you remember when Jesus was arrested? And I don't mean in the garden, where Peter could be brave because he was surrounded with like-minded people, and if he got in the weeds, Jesus was there. I mean when Peter was all alone warming himself by a fire, and a slave girl came up, a servant girl, and said, you were with Jesus. No, I wasn't. Really? Where's the boldness, Peter? Where's the power? You're not talking to a high priest. You're not talking to a Roman official. It's a, it's a slave. It's a servant girl. And I realize in 2024 that sounds awful. But in first century Jerusalem, excuse me, you couldn't get lower in status than a servant. Lower class, lower caste. And I'm sorry, but a girl servant? You're going to be afraid? Peter was afraid so much, he called down curses on himself. Because he had zero boldness. But what we just read in Acts 4, 29 through 31, they prayed for boldness. And, at the, and then at the end, the house or the place they were in shook, and they were filled with boldness. Filled with the Holy Spirit for boldness. And we see that. Peter, sitting around the fire at the high priest's house, he's scared of a servant girl. But in Acts 2.4, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens in the rest of Acts chapter 2? In 2.4, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. In 2.4, Peter preaches his first sermon, first sermon in the rest of chapter 2. What happens in chapter 3? Him and John are walking into the temple. They heal a man. The man gets excited. The crowd's excited. Peter says, I got an opportunity to preach. What happens? They get arrested. As at the arrest, they said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Peter says, I got an opportunity to preach. And that's, that's not even the, that's, we're halfway through chapter 4 in the book of Acts. That's the boldness that's going on. Once he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he risked arrest and worse. But if I'm fearful... How do I get that boldness? So I've been filled with the Spirit, but I'm still afraid. I know this is troublesome 
for some of us here. But I've been making a stronger effort to pray for people and let them know I'm praying for them and to ask if I could pray for them. So I'm a little bit afraid. I don't, I'm, I don't have a good relationship with my neighbors. I mean, I, I don't have a bad relationship. Maybe I shouldn't say I don't have a good. I would say I don't have a relationship with a lot of my neighbors because I'm not sure how to do that. I'm afraid that if we just start a relationship after years, then how do I then all of a sudden say I'm a Christian? If I walk up the first thing and say, I'm a Christian, come to church, I may not have a relationship. So I just kind of don't because I'm afraid. But if I pray for the neighbor, says, yeah, I'm a little, we're just talking. And he says, I'm, I'm a little scared. You know, I, the doctor saw this lump and I, this mark on an x-ray and I don't know what to do and I'm supposed to go in again. He said, let me pray for you. And then a couple days later, I see him, hey, what happened? I don't know, man. They looked at the x-ray. They took another x-ray. The spot is gone. I don't know what happened. This is weird. And, and, and another neighbor says, yeah, I had that job interview. I'm never going to get that job. Well, let me, hey, I got the job. Hey, may, maybe these miracles, these signs and wonders, if God's working there, then maybe when I talk to my neighbor about Jesus or my coworker, now I've got a little bit empowering. I'm a little bit emboldened. And it's not because I want miracles or stuff to happen. It's because I want boldness to preach the gospel. And seeing God work in ways like that behind the scenes can do that for me. What Tony read earlier, which seems like days ago already, and in John 14... The King James uses the word comforter, where the ESV uses the word healer. Helper, pardon me, helper. Some translations you use counselor or advocate. I want to say there's some great things about the King James Version there. And we don't get it because the English language has changed. And today, when we read comforter, we either think of a blanket or we think of someone to commiserate with us. Someone to hold our hand, weep with us, and hug us. But back when the King James first came out, Latin was a big deal, and everybody knew about it. And when they read Comforter, they wouldn't read what you read Comforter. They would have seen Cum Forte. Cum as in Cum Laude, as graduating with honors, Cum with. Forte as in, what's your Forte? What's your strong suit? What's your strength? They would have read with strength, with power. Another helper with power is going to come alongside of you. That's what the person of the Holy Spirit does. He enables and strengthens us with power. Turn to Romans 8. Tony stopped at verse 5. We're going to read... And before I started at verse 9, now we're going to read the passages in between. We're going to read Romans 8, 5 through 8. Excuse me. Romans chapter 5, starting at... Uh, Romans 8, starting at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh... But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
for the mind is not set on the flesh for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God and it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot for those who are in the flesh cannot please God keep your finger there and turn to Galatians chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5 starting at verse 22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Yahweh wants his people empowered to live godly lives, to live holy lives, to live spiritual lives, not controlled by the flesh that we saw in Romans 8, but, or our old nature, but controlled by the Spirit. Can you do that on your own? Have you tried doing it on your own? How did it work? Can you do that without the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Don't say it, I know. Of course you can't. Of course you can't. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know I'm long. We're winding down. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But I do know it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 starting at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is for everyone. Notice the, end, the beginning of seven, to each is given. Not just the apostles, not just the first century believers, not just those who are writing scripture, but the end of six says God empowers them all in everyone. And if that's not enough, from six goes right into seven, to each is given. Why? For the common good. That these gifts, and I know in our little country church, there's disagreement of which of these gifts or how many of these gifts are still active today. But if in the very early stages of Christianity they needed spiritual empowerment and they needed gifts not just for their common good, not just to build up the body of Christ, but to, for boldness, how can we be so arrogant to think that we've got it together and we don't need what they needed? They could have pointed and said, you don't believe the resurrected Jesus? Here's a guy that saw him. I can't do that. There's nobody that's lived over 2,000 years that I can point to. How arrogant am I to think I don't need the same empowering or even more that they had back then? Beyond our unity and our common good, there is another reason that we need to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit filled by the Holy Spirit, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you remember again, 
three or four months ago when Tony read John 16. Verses 13 and 14 say, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me, is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. What's the highest goal of God? What's your highest goal or what should be your highest goal? To give glory and honor to Jesus and to Yahweh. It's the goal of the Holy Spirit. Right there it says it in verse 14 of John chapter 16. He will glorify me. Maybe that's one of the reasons we don't have big, long scriptural explanations about who the Holy Spirit really is. He's always trying to point us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The reason God's people are indwelt and filled and empowered is so they can live holy, God-honoring lives that honor and glorify their Savior. Father, we thank you for Jesus who died for us. Jesus, we thank you for submitting to death, even death on a cross. Holy Spirit, we thank you for sealing us, for indwelling, inhabiting, and residing in us. We need a constant filling of you. And if we're not pouring that out, then nudge us. We need your empowering to live as you want us to live. You have promised that we would not be alone, that you would send another helper, another comforter, another one to come alongside with power. That's because Jesus was one and now another has come. And we talk a lot about the Father and we talk a lot about the Son. But Holy Spirit, I feel that we've neglected you too often. And And that's because your desire is to honor Jesus. And that's our desire. Not to honor, not that we don't want to honor you. We do. You're Yahweh. But we, when we come to you, you point us to Jesus. And we thank you for that. So help us, enable us, empower us to be bold in our faith and to live holy lives that bring glory and honor to Yahweh. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.